Welcome to the 32nd episode of the Sound the Foghorn podcast. Uh, I'm My name is Mark DeLuke, as always, your uh, host and co-site expert over at Around the Foghorn fan site. It's flagship San Francisco Giants site and podcast. Um, but I, I have a great conversation today with Sarah Sanchez. She's a contributor at Fangraphs and writes for Bleed Cubby Blue over at SB Nation. And we talk, I have a great conversation. We talk about the Giants and Cubs four-game series they just had this weekend. But more importantly, she dives into, you know, she's an, an expert on the rest of the happenings around the National League, especially the National League Central. Um, we talk about how the NL Central race is shaking out. And most importantly for Giants fans, how that could interrupt or how that could play a role in the National League wildcard race if the Giants are displaced from the top of the National League. We also get into you know things to expect from the big league season, what things she's most excited to watch going forward. And we even get a little into Javi Baez, who, you know, might not be immediately relevant to Giants fans right now, but will be a, is likely going to be a part of that upcoming free agent class this winter that the Giants are expected to be highly involved in. But first, I want to talk about news that just came out from our friend. Actually, he was just on the podcast last week. A colleague at Fansided, MLB Insider Robert Murray, just reported that the Giants plan to report to promote. Left-handed pitching prospect Sam Long to make his big league debut on Wednesday against the Texas Rangers. Long is a fantastic story. Actually was uh, a Bay Area uh, uh, native, grows up in Carmichael, California, goes to Sacramento State, ends up uh, drafted with the Tampa Bay Rays. Is quite effective, but cut because Tampa Rays are a cheap organization that probably cut minor league players they shouldn't. He ends up considering retiring, steps away from the game, takes some classes to become a EMS paramedic, but then decides to give it one more shot. The pandemic hits. The Giants sign him as a minor league free agent. He comes into spring training. He starts hitting 97 miles per hour. In my preseason prospect rankings, I made it, I ranked him the 11th prospect in the best, the 11th best prospect in the system, and I was nervous about that because we only really had two weeks on him, but he was showing three above average to plus pitches with that fastball, a really good feel for a changeup, and a really nice breaking ball, that curveball. Um, and so far in the minor league season, it's borne out the best of what we saw in spring training. At Richmond, he strikes out a double A Richmond start the year. He makes four starts, strikes out 22 in 15 innings, walks four, has a 3.6 year A. Then when he gets promoted to Sacramento, the triple A affiliate of the Giants, Two appearances, absolutely dominant. Seven and two-thirds innings, only one hit, one walk, 15 strikeouts. There is the caveat that the Giants have limited him to 55 to 60 pitches thus far this season. So don't expect him to work into the seventh inning, even the sixth inning. He's probably going to go about three to five innings, and the Giants are hoping he has the stuff to rack up strikeouts and limit opponents' runs, and they'll probably essentially play these games like pseudo-bullpen games. Long... We'll see if they start extending him at some point. I think he has the potential to be a legitimate mid-rotation starter. But for now, he's probably going to play. You know, he's slotting in for Scott Casimir, who was designated for assignment by the team last week. That's exactly the kind of role you should expect to see him play. Going to be an exciting arm uh, for, to, to watch this week in Texas and potentially going forward. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Sarah again. Fantastic listen, as always. And remember, make sure to leave that five-star review. And if you do, include a question in your comment, and I will make sure to answer it alongside a guest in a future episode. 
Welcome back to another episode of the Sound the Foghorn podcast, fan side. It's official San Francisco Giants podcast, of course, the official pod of Around the Foghorn. I am your host, Mark DeLuke, as always. This is our 32nd episode, and I am very excited to have a special guest on today, Sarah Sanchez over from Bleed Cubby Blue. She's also the co-host of the Cup of Cubby Blue podcast over there as part of, excuse me, the SB Nation um, network. Sarah, how are you doing today? I'm great, Mark. Thanks for having me. So we're talking here on Monday night. The Cubs are about to at least take on the Padres right in about an hour here. Um, this will obviously get uploaded on Tuesday morning, but you know, we're coming off the heels of a four game series. The Giants take three out of four from the Cubs drop the final game on Sunday, four to three. And, and I was curious, I wanted to have someone like you on because you know, you're someone who follows baseball incredibly closely. I didn't mention in the intro, you also contribute for fan graphs and, you know, keep, keep tabs around the league beyond the NL Central and the Cubs. But, you know, the Giants aren't a team that, you know, most people I imagine were expecting uh, particularly much from coming into the year. They obviously have kind of come out of nowhere. They have the best record in Major League Baseball. The Cubs are tied for the best record in the NL Central right now. And so I was wondering, you know, just to get your take on, you know, what you were expecting to see from the Giants coming in you know what were your perceptions and then how did that change or sort of what did you see in the four games you know you got to watch um, against the Cubs well if we're talking about my expectations for the Giants I think we really need to differentiate my expectations uh coming into this series versus Mm -hmm. my expectations coming into the season right so I will fully admit that I was one of the many people that thought the NL West was a two-team race between the Padres and the Dodgers if you look at the Giants there's you know, that it was hard to predict that Brandon Crawford and Evan Longoria and Buster Posey were all going to return to shades of their like 2015 selves yes. and start getting people believing again. But it does seem like that is exactly what they have done. I did know coming in to the series that the Giants were a legit team and that the Cubs needed to be on top of their stuff. There was a lot of concern in Cubs circles just because we have not performed particularly well as a team um, in, I should say the Cubs have not performed particularly well as a team. It's been a long day. Like back to back to back calls all day. Uh, the Cubs have not performed particularly well as a team on West coast road trips in the regular season. And this one's coming on the back of quite a few games in a row. So I wasn't surprised to see them a little bit sluggish, um, not a ton of energy in those first few games. I was really glad that they were able to hang on to that series finale and avoid the sweep. One of the things about this Cubs team that is really interesting, and you may have noticed it when we were out there, is if they have a lead in the sixth or seventh inning, that bullpen is lights out. So uh, kudos to the Giants for not letting the Cubs get into a position where they had a lead in the late innings in the early games. I was thrilled that the Cubs were able to do that in the fourth game, and we'll see if they've caught up to jet lag as they head down to San Diego tonight. Yeah, no, I, I... – that was one thing, you know, the Giants lineup is very much like built to, you know, wear opponents down, right? Obviously, you mentioned Posey, Crawford, and Longoria, although the Giants did just lose Longoria for a few weeks here, and we'll see how that plays out. But the Giants right, that have, collision. Yeah, that, that was a wild play. Just I've never seen a – I've never seen anything like it. Collision nope. like that too. Yeah, it was very um, peculiar. Thankfully, Crawford's okay, but obviously um, we'll, you know, Longoria's out for at least a month and probably more than that. But the one thing about the Giants is even the, you know, quote unquote, no name or, or much less heralded 
hitters on the roster, even if they haven't been performing well, are guys who just, you know, work four, six pitch at bats, right? Like they are kind of built to wear you down. I know Kapler, a manager Gabe Kapler, the Giants has talked about a number of times throughout the season, especially preseason. And, you know, again, Kapler is kind of the master of making a press conference more complicated, I think, than it needs to be with a lot of lingo that's unnecessary. So he, he likes taking in this case, it was he took a football metaphor and he said the Giants want to win time of possession this year in terms of wearing pitchers down. And again, like I understand what he's saying. I just feel like you could have just said we want to see more pitches. But anyway, um, <laughs> but, you know, I, that, that is something that's you know apparently like Mike Talkman, who the Giants acquired uh, last or not last season, but but earlier this season hasn't necessarily hit particularly well. But he's consistently seeing like 25, 30 pitches in, in throughout these games. I think that's part of what enabled the Giants to kind of wear down Cubs pitchers or, or, or take advantage where you are getting you're hoping to get to kind of the fringes of a bullpen even if a starter is effective and you hope that you can wear down a starter enough that that maybe that second or third time through the order you can break through even if they're they have a pretty good repertoire that day but that was one thing the Giants do lack is that they are really reliant on platoon splits right now like they have a fairly deep offense a well-rounded offense I would say but part of it is their depth not necessarily any one player right and so that does put you at risk of you know if you use your pinch hitters early or if you have a series of injuries like they had they've had this this recent stretch you know it's going to be harder for you to pinch hit for Alex Dickerson when a left-handed pitcher is brought in or pinch hit for Austin Slater or you know you aren't necessarily going to be able to maximize matchups in the way that I think they want to and sort of puts them at, at with their best foot forward and the Cubs bullpen I was surprised you know they have you know Kimbrel's obviously the big name but it's a lot of other names that you know aren't you know you've you've seen around kind of in you know bullpen journeyman speak right who've you know obviously been big league pitchers but not necessarily you fear and you know it's kind of one of those things as a Giants fan you know not being as familiar I'm like okay you know expect the Giants to break through here and it was pretty consistently that bullpen held up throughout the series even um, in, in the losses that, that was impressive to me, especially in contrast to the Giants bullpen that has been very, very shaky thus far in the season. Yeah, the Cubs bullpen has been sort of a revelation this season. I feel like there's not a lot of big names in that bullpen. I think Chafin after Kimbrell is probably the closest one. And unless you were following the Diamondbacks particularly yep. closely, I don't think that he was really on your radar. A lot of them are guys who the Cubs either drafted or got early in their development and developed through their pitch lab, which frankly, we've been waiting to see developments from the pitch lab for a while now. And it's incredible to see what they've been able to put together with this bullpen. It's also had really a sort of next man up quality to it. Like a lot of teams this season, the Cubs are dealing with a ton of injuries um, they're just getting some of their players back. I think Jason Hayward was activated during the Giant series. Jake Marisnik uh, is coming off the injured list tonight, and I believe he is starting against the Padres. But, you know, they've had injuries in the bullpen, too. Alec Mills, who threw a no-hitter last year, he's on the injured list. Uh, Rowan Wick, who was sort of the next-in-line closer last year, has not been pitching since last September when he suffered an oblique injury. And so it's been cool to see some of these guys just really step up, right? Like Ryan Tapera totally stepping up, stepping up, um, Dan Winkler totally stepping up. And, and maybe my favorite story of the entire baseball season, Tommy Nance, who the Cubs found a couple of years ago in Indie Ball, 
and got into their system. And he has been nails. He has been an absolute contributor to that Cubs bullpen. He's his, the stuff plays, it is filthy. And you know, this, this bullpen set a franchise record for the most innings without an earned run earlier in May. And I, feel like they're just going to continue doing that for right now. It's It's been a hot minute since I wasn't worried about the Cubs bullpen. It's a nice feeling. Yeah. And I, there are going to be many Giants fans listening to this podcast that are kind of clenching their fists in, in, in disgust at the idea of someone else having a bullpen to have some confidence in as the Giants again. That has not been the case um, this year in San Francisco. But I did want to have you on to not just to talk about the Giants, but also to kind of give a look at, you know, how do you see kind of the NL Central coming together. Obviously, I know that the Cardinals got off to a really hot start. They faded a bit. Now it is that the Cubs and Brewers tied atop the division. Cardinals obviously still right there. Reds, I think, covering around 500 and the Pirates about where people, I think, would expect the Pirates to be in the standings. But, um, you know, how do you see kind of this NL Central race shaking out? You know, this has kind of been a, you know, maybe mediocre is too harsh a word, but a kind of I feel like kind of a division last few years that has kind of meshed to middle, right? Like there hasn't been, you know, obviously you go back a few years and the Cubs are clearly the best team. The Brewers are a great team, but then kind of recently, it seems like there's been this regression across the division outside of Pittsburgh that's remained at the bottom, you know, toward kind of this middle tier of teams. Is that kind of how it seems like it's shaking out this year? Or do you think the Cubs and, and maybe, you know, Brewers or Cardinals, are they separating themselves and, you know, what do you see as kind of the avenues for these teams uh, to the postseason? Well, let me start with the last couple of years. I mean, I think that there's been a lot of parity in this division, mm-hmm. but I think that last offseason, I believe we talked about this before, was really characterized by, and I'm, I'm going to bracket the Colorado Rockies giving the Cardinals Nolan Arenado plus some money. <laughs> that <laughs> trade still blows my mind. Uh, but the, you know, a lot of the teams in this division really sat pat in the offseason. I mean, the Cubs added Jack Peterson and Jake Marisnik and turned Hugh Darvish and Victor Caratini into Zach Davies and some teenagers. And like, that's not, <laughs> that's not the move of a team that looks like it's trying to get better and win another World Series. Yet, the Cubs also have this core of players who are foundationally so solid, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, there are not many lineups that can come at you the same way Rizzo and Bryant and Javi and Wilson can come at you. And when you add in like a Jock Peterson or an Ian Happ when they're hitting Nico Horner, who was so good before he hit the injured yeah. list, this Cubs team really does have a ton of talent when it's all clicking. And it, it has all been clicking lately, particularly on the north side of Chicago when they are playing at home. So I don't think Giants fans really saw the Cubs team that has been sort of dominating. But what they did see is a glimpse of something that has really helped the Cubs, which is the sort of next man up mentality, right? Patrick Wisdom comes up, gets gets called up to fill in because David Bodie separates his shoulder and it's just hitting bombs. He has seven home runs in eight games. Like, what even is that? Sergio Alcantara, who is not the story because Patrick Wisdom is the story, has two triples in like yeah. four games, right? Um, and so every man who has come up from Iowa has really contributed both in the bullpen and as those replacement players. And I think that that has also been true to some extent for the other teams that are really getting some production right now, right? Like the Padres have a lot of injuries, but the Padres also have some players who are coming up and contributing. The Giants have had injuries, but the Giants have these AAA players who are coming up and contributing. In terms of the other teams in the NL Central, uh, you know, they're all very different. So I thought that the Cardinals had maybe an edge when they were healthy 
However, losing Jack Flaherty and um, Kim both in the last week is really going to, that's, that's going to hurt the Cardinals. Their, their depth of pitching is nowhere near what I've been talking about with the Cubs and the Cubs bullpen. In fact, I was just working on a piece for Fangraphs earlier this afternoon. The Cardinals um, walk rate there based, based on balls per nine is 5.75 out of that bullpen. It is the worst in Major League Baseball. It is not particularly close. And they have to turn a couple of those mid-long relievers into starters now, which cannot be a good sign for the St. Louis Cardinals. The Brewers have all of the pitching in the land. I mean, Woodruff yeah. and Burns and Peralta are just absolutely dominant. They've still got Josh Hader and Devin Williams in the back of that bullpen, but they also don't hit very well. Uh, and I haven't looked at it recently, but the last time I looked, the Brewers were hitting something like 212 or 213 as a team, which look, you don't need a ton of runs when you have that type of pitching, but it also means you're always operating on razor thin margins. So I feel like this division has a lot of teams that have different strengths, right? Like the Cubs have this experienced core. The Brewers have this outstanding pitching. The Reds probably have the best offense in baseball. I, Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos are both on fire. They are both, I think their OPSs are both over like 1100 for the season right now. If, if you've not watched some Cincinnati Reds baseball lately, you're missing some bombs. But so each of these teams is just a little bit different. And the result is that you have a lot of teams clustered right around 500. It's probably going to be a tight race. And I think as long as the Cubs are hovering around first place, uh, it's going to be really difficult for Jed Hoyer to sell anyone, which means they're probably buyers at the trade deadline. Yeah. And it's going, you know, the Reds are the one that is uh, interesting to me because, you know, again, they are kind of the ones who, haven't you know cert you know haven't kind of had a surge yet but are you know hanging around there and you know I, like i look at their pitching it's obviously not a deep rotation but i see someone like luis castillo who hasn't been good i think he's allowed the most earned runs in all of baseball but you, you know like you wonder with the way this offense is performing obviously it'll probably come down to earth a bit but you know if they get a strong stretch of pitching you know there they could be a team that sees themselves you know, potentially a runaway. And obviously we have plenty of season left. We have plenty of season left prior to the trade deadline. That's going to make this really interesting um, to see how this all shakes out in the coming months. I am curious, how do you see the wildcard race in the National League? You know, entering the year, you know, again, you're not alone. I think, frankly, again, anyone who says it wasn't the Dodgers and the Padres coming into the year in the NL West, you know, I either give a lot of credit to you or I feel like you're making things up. But, um, you know, <laughs> the Dodgers and Padres still feel like two of the two best teams in the national league, at least to me. And I know I'm saying that as someone who covers the giants and they have the best record in baseball, but you know, it's hard for me to look at the giants roster and not see a lot more players on the giants. I'm concerned about regressing than say with the Padres, right. And with the Dodgers, but with the wild card race, like, do you see it being a national league West centric thing? Or do you think the NL central, um, is potentially going to play itself into that where even if a team doesn't win the division, you know, they could be competing with the giants or even, you know, a team potentially in the NL East, you know, the Bra Braves or Phillies or Mets, whoever falls out. Or do you think this is something where for NL central NL East teams, it's going to have to be the division because the wild card is going to be, you know, whoever who the two teams that fall short in the NL West. Well, I think that the, the so let, let's take this in a couple of different directions. Yes. The first is that I think that the Cubs uh, or the, the NL Central is not going to produce the wild card. I, I think when you have a division that is 
um, has the parity that I spoke about before, they're much closer to all being 500 teams than 600 or 650 teams, which means that nobody's really getting a ton of wins out of anybody in that division other than the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? So you're probably splitting your season against the Cardinals, splitting your season against the Brewers, splitting your season against the Reds, um, and hopefully winning a lot of your games against the Pirates. But what that means is that you got to win the division or bust in the Central. And and frankly, I think that in the um, the East, I am less convinced that you couldn't have a wild card out of that division because I feel like there is a bottom there that you could theoretically uh, take some advantage of. I think that the Marlins provide some opportunities for some victories. The Nationals are not looking <laughs> particularly strong or competitive. I mean, the 2019 Nationals definitely proved me wrong on that one, but I don't think they've got that in them again. And they have no farm system really to draw from to speak of. So I, I think that there's a lot of wins to be had in the NL East against the Nationals and the Marlins. And then, you know, the Phillies, man, I, I want to like the Phillies. I, I want the Phillies to be good. I feel like the Phillies paid Bryce Harper and they brought in Joe Girardi. They re-signed Didi Gregorius and JT Realmuto and that, and they have good pitching and Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. Like that should be enough, right? That Phillies team should be good. And yet there's something missing. They're, they're just not getting it done in Philadelphia. And so because you have sort of the two teams that can win there and then the three teams that are struggling, maybe two and a half teams, if you put the Phillies sort of right in the middle of that mix, I think there's a lot more wins to be had in the NLE. So you could theoretically have a wild card winner come out of the NLE. So I think that the West actually kind of cannibalizes itself in terms of wins there, right? Because yeah. the Giants have to play the Dodgers and the Padres and the Padres have to play the Dodgers and the Giants. And so you could theoretically have a situation, in my opinion, where one wild card comes out of the West, one wild card comes out of the East. I, something weird is going to have to happen for one of the wild cards to come out of the Central. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good take. And again, that's the been the thing for the NL West is I kind of expected the, I mean, again, I feel like the Diamondbacks are becoming, you know, almost baseball's Cleveland Browns where every year I'm like, you know, they're, they're I guess now the Browns broke that this season, actually making the playoffs. But, you know, <laughs> for years it was like, oh, the Browns, they finally have talent pieces and then they finish in last place. And it feels like the Diamondbacks are kind of becoming that in a way because it's like, you know, they have some pieces and, you know, they've traded this and that. And then they've just tanked. Um, and the Giants have had uh, some, I'd argue, luck in the schedule too, right? They've played, I think, the Cardinals, or not the Cardinals, excuse me, the Rockies and Diamondbacks more than the Dodgers and Padres so they've part of the reason I think they're they have the best record is in part because they have you know played the Padres I think the Dodgers each for two series but they have that second half of the street season is going to have a lot more games against San Diego against LA whereas you mentioned you know if the Giants do what they hope to do right and win most of those games then the Padres and Dodgers are going to go down the standings and if the Dodgers and Padres you know win most of those games and the Giants are going to probably fall back down to earth a little bit and you know as we sort of move into the summer, I guess, you know, kind of wrapping things up here, what are you most excited for? I mean, obviously, you know, you're following the Cubs, so, you know, something comes up, but, you know, what are you kind of most interested to see how the things play out into the summer leading up into the trade deadline, um, potentially where, you know, again, I feel like the one thing that is going to be interesting this deadline too is obviously team control is always a huge factor in moves to the deadline, right? Teams are much less willing to make trades for someone if they have, you know, arbitration or uh, under them under contract beyond the season. But of course there is sort of this looming CBA, the, the talk of strike and lockout. And I do wonder if that's going to impact, you know, how things 
shake out of the deadline. I know the deadline is your least favorite time because it's a bunch of articles about things that probably aren't <laughs> going to happen. And I know for Drives me, me nuts. I, I it really honestly for me it is based on my mood. Some days I wake up and I'm like I want to write 2000 words about something that I know I'm never going to have to be accountable for because I can just write about, you know, this prospect and this prospect and it's very fun to think about. And then other days it's like I have to write however many words about something that is probably not going to happen and not going to matter. But anyway, <laughs> aside from all the writer shenanigans, um, you know, what are you kind of most intrigued by to see, you know, into the summer and beyond into the season? So like I, I mentioned a little bit ago, I think that this Cubs core has a ton of talent that they haven't really played to that level since 2017, really, when they were last in the NLCS. And, and they're playing to it to some extent right now. There's actually been a bit of an edge to them recently and it's hard to explain but it, it, it almost feels like they know that this is their last year together and they're going to make it as difficult as humanly possible for the Ricketts or Jed Hoyer to make any decisions to sell any of those contracts and turn mm -hmm. them into prospects and, and frankly I'm here for it. it it has a little bit of a screw the owners type of vibe to it I've seen a couple of articles refer to it as a real life major league <laughs> although I imagine you know obviously a little bit different the Ricketts are certainly not a floundering fan franchise that's thinking of relocating yes or anything like that um i, I want to see the cubs keep that up all the way through this season i think that there is some financial flexibility both in terms of some money that's been coming in from the network that now is more established and actually is getting its feet under itself with you know consistent content and consistent programming um and then the uh, other developments around Wrigley Field, plus, you know, they're going to 100% capacity this week. I, as an aside, it's been one of my pet peeves listening to MLB Network and national broadcast lately talk about Wrigley Field and say, oh, Wrigley Field at capacity. It sounds so great. I'm like, it has not been at capacity. It's been 60%. I've been there. It's about half full. Wait until we hit capacity. It sounds like October uh, in Wrigleyville right now. I haven't felt anything like it. Since 2016, I haven't seen dozens of people lined up to see the team off on getaway days uh, until this season since 2016. So there's something there's something special going on there. And I think that this group of players is really doing everything they can to have one last hurrah. And they're, they're getting a ton of production from unlikely players to make that happen. So I think that this Cubs team could do something special. I think if they do, you're likely to see a few extensions of some of those fan favorites at the end of the season. I can't say they're going to extend the entire core. I wish they would extend all four of them, but we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I think that's that was an interesting point, too, I noticed, is as you mentioned, it has been, you know, the a lot of the Patrick Wisdoms, right? A lot of the sort of less, um, obviously less prominent or, or less kind of celebrated stars. And that also, you know, does sort of raise the question, is are, they, are some of them maybe playing themselves into um, – at least the Cubs may be having them in their future plans in ways potentially not envisioned, even if um, there's sort of more payroll restraints um, that ownership puts on it. Uh, I guess, you know, Javi Baez is someone I'm curious what you make of him having watched him so closely um, because well, it, part of it is right from the Giants perspective, it's been, the Giants have been eyeing this shortstop class, you know, for some time, or at least fans have, I should say, you know, the idea of flexibility. This is about when the window opens and, you know, Crawford is a free agent at the end of the year. Now Crawford's playing like one of the best shortstops of the group, right. which is a separate sort of complicating factor. But, you know, aside from the Giants and aside from whether they move on from Crawford or not, 
you know, Bias has kind of always been this right player of extremes, right? It, it, incredible plays, incredible defensively, has incredible power, has some strikeouts and swing and miss. Um, obviously, makes some incredible plays on the base pass as we've seen recently. But um, you know, it feels like those kind of extremes are getting pulled out even further this season. And I'm curious for you: is this something that kind of you just come accustomed to that he goes through these slumps like this, or goes through kind of these? spurts where it's just you know you you know it'll come around or is there something you're seeing where oh maybe there needs to be an adjustment here or there's a tweak that maybe just didn't fall into place right for him well I'm, I'm not sure there are adjustments for Javi Baez in the same way there are for others other players I, I've seen people tweet this a few times I, I have not tweeted it so I don't want to take credit for it I've definitely retweeted this a few times though if you look at Javi's on pace numbers Uh, It winds up with something absurd, like close to 250 strikeouts, very few walks, 47 home runs, 30 stolen bases, 120 RBIs. I mean, the, the, he is a, he is a statistic defying machine. He is a chaos generating machine. Javi induces plays on the base paths that should not happen. I mean, we all saw that comedy of the absurd that was Will Craig forgetting that you're supposed to just step on first base and this whole thing ends and and the inning is over and nothing <laughs> else happens. And what we all know that, right. And we're all looking at this TV, like why isn't Will Craig just stepping on first base, but it's worth noting that the pitcher for the pirates that day. And I forget who it was. I think Anderson um, came out and said, none of us told him to step on first base. Yeah. There, there was no chatter from the pirates, any of their outfielders, any of their infielders, anybody in the dugout saying just step on first base. Right. The entire team was Jedi mind tricked into following Javi in this weird dance that results in the Cubs getting not one, but two runs. They get the run from Wilson Contreras. And then Javi comes around to score later on an Ian Happ single. And I just, I have thought for a long time that Javier Baez is playing the game in a way that is not appreciated by current statistics. And frankly, we all just have to be okay with that. Like there is no, his tagging ability is not taken into account in his war. Right. His ability to make Will Craig do whatever it was Will Craig was doing, <laughs> that day, definitely not accounted for in his war, his sprint speed or anything else. Right. But that's not the first time I've seen Javi do that. I've watched him do that to the Brewers. I've watched him do that to the Mets. I've watched him do that to steal home. I've watched him do that through his career now. And so I think you just have to kind of accept the good with the bad with Javi. Like sometimes things are going to, sometimes a ball is going to fly and you're gonna be like, why did you throw that? And sometimes he is going to believe that a series of events should happen on the baseball diamond that his other defenders have not picked up on and something will just get missed. But every now and again, you're going to get pure brilliance and you just have to take the like 25 to 30% strikeout rate because it's going to come with 40 home runs and 30 stolen bases. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to put it. We need more, you know, variation in baseball, right? Like we need more fun. We need more uh, of people pushing these extremes. And again, I think that's a great way of putting it. Um, Sarah, where can people uh, follow your work and keep up with what you're doing? Yeah, so you can find my just general baseball writing at Fangraphs. I write there once or twice a week. Um, And then you can follow my Cubs-specific stuff at bleedcubbyblue.com, which is the SB Nation Cubs site. And if you are more of a listening type, please uh, follow and subscribe to Cup of Cubby Blue, which is the Bleed Cubby Blue podcast following all things Chicago Cubs. 
thank you for taking the time. I know it's been a busy day for you, but I really appreciate uh, having you on here today. And thank you to all of you uh, for listening. This has been the 32nd episode of Sound the Foghorn. As always, I'm your host, Mark DeLuke. You can follow me on Twitter at Mad DeLuke. That is M-A-D-D-E-L-U-C-C-H-I. You can also stay up to date with all the latest Giants news and rumors over at AroundTheFoghorn.com. Fansite's official San Francisco Giants flagship site. Thank you very much. And until next time, as always, stay safe and have a wonderful week.